t-shirts in the shop. Just go to pgttcm.com, check out all of our cool t-shirts and stickers. Heck, we even got some shower curtains in there. Keep clean, look cool, have cool stickers to put on stuff. Join us on Patreon and get a free sticker. Or don't. It's up to you. spine-tingling, nerve-shattering podcast featuring all your favorite monsters. You won't believe your ears when you listen to Monster Kid Radio. Hear your host, Derek M. Cook, and his ever-rotating stable of guests discuss your favorite classics and sometimes not-so-classic monster movies. Subscribe to Monster Kid Radio through iTunes or Stitcher, or visit monsterkidradio.net before the next weekly episode of Monster Kid Radio. Go through the archives for interviews with Sarah Karloff, Victoria Price, and Joel Hodson. Listen to discussions about movies like Creature from the Black Lagoon, Island of Terror, and King Kong. And don't forget convention coverage from Monster Bash and the H.P. Lovecraft Film Festival. Classic Monsters, Modern Talk, and the head of Rondo Hatton, only on Monster Kid Radio. This episode is brought to you by California Tea House. California Tea House is a family-owned tea store where you can find some of the world's best loose-leaf tea and organic herbal tea blends. Like a fine wine, there is no comparison between fine loose-leaf and common broken-leaf tea bags. So, yeah, no, check them out. Check them out. They have quite a bit of pretty awesome tea collections. I'm a huge fan of their white teas. Uh, They have a tea club that you can join, but, you know, they've got green tea, black tea, white tea, oolong, that uh, robios and herbal tea. They've also got teaware. So check out California Tea House in the show notes. Hey everyone, it's me, DB. New sponsor on the show, Clary. Clary offers a great price and better quality goods and services for music lovers. Are you looking for good prices, free shipping, 100% quality guarantee? Clary's got you covered. Guitars, bass guitars, mandolins, they've got saxophones, trumpets, drums, they've got guitar cases, amplifiers, all the stuff that you need without having to break the bank. Inexpensive doesn't have to mean cheap. Check out the show notes to find more about Glary. 20 watt amplifiers for under $50. Hard cases for your electric guitar for under 80. Guitars themselves for under $90. Come on folks, check out the show notes. Get a Glary. You're listening to KZOM, Oleander Public Radio. and Farmer Dave, here once again to talk to you about the Cthulhu Mythos, its books, its monsters, its unfortunate human casualties, its timeline in general, and even its tangential bits, like the dreamlands or things of a weird nature that are Lovecraftian leaning. Once more we head into those dark woods, further feeling those malevolent forces upon us. Once again we walk down the lightless stone staircase in the middle of nowhere. You're listening to KZOM. Hey everyone, welcome back to People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. It's one of our reading episodes, and this episode we will be going through... Let's see, it's the... 
Rinkitink. Rinkitink. Oh, you know, our reader does it way better than I do. Rinkitink in Oz. So, yeah, this is, what, the 7th, 8th, 12th book in the Oz series? It's getting in there. We're getting in there, yeah. And I'm going to chop this up into 12 parts. So there's going to be two two chapters each 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 episode. So, hey, we've got that for the month of October. And maybe I'll throw in some ghost stories at the end of the month. Don't hold me to any of that because I'm not 100% sure how October is going to go. And if you are lucky enough at the very beginning of October, H.P. Lovecraft Film Festival. And there is also going to be a second H.P. Lovecraft Film Festival that's going to be less in person and more of a streaming thing. Check us out on there. Dave's got some stuff going on on that. I'm going to have some stuff going on on that. And also, I'd like to welcome our newest sponsor, Taza Chocolate, Stone Ground Chocolate. And you know what? This is super minimally processed. If you're like me and you have a bunch of food allergies, you can't do dairy, they have dairy-free chocolates. They, they, they use dairy alternatives, uh, minimally processed, of course, organic. I love them. You love them. Taza Chocolates, they, they come in those discs that you can break up and put into hot beverages and stir up. Ooh, I love it so much. Anyway, Oz. So why not? I don't know, sit down with a nice warm beverage. We've got the tea that you can get. We've got the coffee you can get. I don't know, maybe microwave some psychedelic water, baby. All right, here's some Oz. Let's get weird. Chapter 5, The Three Pearls When King Rinkitink and Prince Inga had bathed themselves in the sea and eaten a simple breakfast, they began wondering what they could do to improve their condition. The poor people of Gilgad, said Rinkitink cheerfully, are little likely ever to behold their king in the flesh, oh, for my boat and my rowers are gone with everything else. Let us face the fact that we are imprisoned for life upon this island, and that our lives will be short, unless we can secure more to eat that is in this small sack. I'll not starve, for I can eat grass remarked the goat in a pleasant tone, or a tone as pleasant as Bill Bill could assume. True, quite true, said the king. Then he seemed thoughtful for a moment, and turning to Inga, he asked, Do you think, Prince, that if the worst comes, we could eat Bill Bill? The goat gave a groan, and cast a reproachful look at his master as he said, Monster! "'Would you indeed eat your old friend and servant?' "'Not if I can help it, Bilbil,' answered the king pleasantly. "'You would make a remarkably tough morsel, "'and my teeth are not as good as they once were.' While this talk was in progress, Inga suddenly remembered the three pearls which his father had hidden under the tiled floor of the banquet hall. Without doubt, King Kitticut had been so suddenly surprised by the invaders that he had found no opportunity to get the pearls, for otherwise the fierce warriors would have been defeated and driven out of Pingaree. So they must still be in their hiding-place, and Inga believed they would prove of great assistance to him and his comrades in this hour of need. But the palace was a mass of ruins. Perhaps he would be unable now to find the place where the pearls were hidden. 
He said nothing of this to Rinkitink, remembering that his father had charged him to preserve the secret of the pearls and of their magic powers. Nevertheless, the thought of securing the wonderful treasures of his ancestors gave the boy new hope. He stood up and said to the king, "'Let us return to the other end of Pingaree. It is more pleasant than here, in spite of the desolation of my father's palace, and there, if anywhere, we shall discover a way out of our difficulties.' This suggestion met with Rinkitink's approval, and the little party at once started upon the return journey. As there was no occasion to delay upon the way, they reached the big end of the island about the middle of the day, and at once began searching the ruins of the palace. They found, to their satisfaction, that one room at the bottom of a tower was still inhabitable, although the roof was broken in and the place was somewhat littered with stones. The king was, as he said, too fat to do any hard work, so he sat down on a block of marble and watched Inga clear the room of its rubbish. This done, the boy hunted through the ruins until he discovered a stool and an armchair that had not been broken beyond use. Some bedding and a mattress were also found, so that by nightfall the little room had been made quite comfortable. The following morning, while Rinkitink was still sound asleep, and Bilbil was busily cropping the dewy grass that edged the shore, Prince Inga began to search the tumbled heaps of marble for the place where the royal banquet hall had been. After climbing over the ruins for a time, he reached a flat place which he recognized by means of the tiled flooring and the broken furniture scattered about to be the great hall he was seeking. But in the center of the floor, directly over the spot where the pearls were hidden, lay several large and heavy blocks of marble, which had been torn from the dismantled walls. This unfortunate discovery for a time discouraged the boy, who realized how helpless he was to remove such vast obstacles. But it was so important to secure the pearls that he dared not give way to despair until every human effort had been made, so he sat him down to think over the matter with great care. Meantime, Rinkitink had risen from his bed and walked out upon the lawn, where he found Bilbil reclining at ease upon the greensward. "'Where is Inga?' asked Rinkitink, rubbing his eyes with his knuckles, because their vision was blurred with too much sleep. "'Don't ask me,' said the goat, chewing with much satisfaction a cud of sweet grasses. "'Bilbil,' said the king, squatting down beside the goat, and resting his fat chin upon his hands and his elbows on his knees, "'allow me to confide to you the fact that I am bored and need amusement. My good friend Kittycut has been kidnapped by the barbarians and taken away from me, so there is no one to converse with me intelligently. I am the king, and you are the goat. Suppose you tell me a story. Suppose I don't, said Bilbil with a scowl, for a goat's face is very expressive. If you refuse, I shall be more unhappy than ever, 
and I know your disposition is too sweet to permit that. Tell me a story, Bill Bill. The goat looked at him with an expression of scorn. Said he, One would think you are but four years old, Rinky-Tink. But there, I will do as you command. Listen carefully, and the story may do you some good, although I doubt if you understand the moral. I am sure the story will do me good, declared the king, whose eyes were twinkling. Once on a time, began the goat. When was that, Bilbil? asked the king gently. Don't interrupt. It is impolite. Once on a time, there was a king with a hollow inside his head, where most people have their brains, and— Is this a true story, Bilbil? And the king with a hollow head could chatter words which had no sense, and laugh in a brainless manner at senseless things. That part of the story is true enough, Rinky-Tink. Then proceed with the tale, sweet Bilbil. Yet it is hard to believe that any king could be brainless, unless indeed he proved it by owning a talking goat. Bilbil glared at him a full minute in silence. Then he resumed his story. This empty-headed man was a king by accident, having been born to that high station. Also the king was empty-headed, by the same chance, being born without brains. Poor fellow, quoth the king. Did he own a talking goat? He did, answered Bilbil. Then he was wrong to have been born at all. <laughs> chuckled Rinky-Tink, his fat body shaking with merriment. But it's hard to prevent oneself from being born. There's no chance for protest, eh, Bilbil? Who is telling this story I'd like to know? demanded the goat with anger. Ask someone with brains, my boy. I'm sure I can't tell, replied the king, bursting into one of his merry fits of laughter. Bilbil rose to his hoofs and walked away in a dignified manner, leaving Rinky-Tink chuckling anew at the sour expression of the animal's face. "'Oh, oh Bilbil, you'll be the death of me some day, I'm sure you will,' gasped the king, taking out his lace handkerchief to wipe his eyes. For, as he often did, he had laughed till the tears came. Bilbil was deeply vexed and would not even turn his head to look at his master. To escape from Rinky-Tink, he wandered among the ruins of the palace, where he came upon Prince Inga. "'Good morning, Bilbil,' said the boy. "'I was just going to find you, that I might consult you upon an important matter. If you will kindly turn back with me, I am sure your good judgment will be of great assistance.' The angry goat was quite mollified by the respectful tone in which he was addressed, but he immediately asked, "'Are you going to consult that empty-headed king over yonder?' "'I am sorry to hear you speak of your kind master in such a way,' said the boy gravely. "'All men are deserving of respect, being the highest of living creatures, and kings deserve respect more than others, for they are set to rule over many people.' Nevertheless, said Bilbil with conviction, 
Rinky-Tink's head is certainly empty of brains. That I am unwilling to believe, insisted Inga. But anyway, his heart is kind and gentle, and that is better than being wise. He is merry in spite of misfortunes that would cause others to weep, and he never speaks harsh words that wound the feelings of his friends. Still, growled Bilbil, he is— Let us forget everything but his good nature, which puts new heart into us when we are sad, advised the boy. But he is— Come with me, please, interrupted Inga, for the matter of which I wish to speak is very important. Bilbil followed him, although the boy still heard the goat muttering that the king had no brains. Rinkitink, seeing them turn into the ruins, also followed, and upon joining them asked for his breakfast. Inga opened the sack of food, and while he and the king ate of it, the boy said, "'If I could find a way to remove some of the blocks of marble which have fallen in the banquet hall, I think I could find means for us to escape from this barren island.' "'Then,' mumbled Rinkitink with his mouth full, let us move the blocks of marble. But how? inquired Prince Inga. They are very heavy. Ah, how indeed, returned the king, smacking his lips contentedly. That is a serious question. But I have it. Let us see what my famous parchment says about it. He wiped his fingers upon a napkin, and then, taking the scroll from a pocket inside his embroidered blouse, he unrolled it and read the following words. Never step on another man's toes. The goat gave a snort of contempt. Inga was silent. The king looked from one to the other inquiringly. That's the idea exactly, declared Rinkitink. To be sure, said Bilbil scornfully. It tells us exactly how to move the blocks of marble. Oh, does it? responded the king, and then for a moment he rubbed the top of his bald head in a perplexed manner. The next moment he burst into a peal of joyous laughter. The goat looked at Inga and sighed. Ah, what did I tell you? asked the creature. Was I right or was I wrong? This scroll, said Rinkitink, is indeed a masterpiece. Its advice is of a tremendous value. Never step on another man's toes. Let us think this over. The inference is that we should step upon our own toes, which were given us for that purpose. Therefore, if I stepped upon another man's toes, I would be the other man. <laughs> the other man. <laughs> oh, oh, funny, isn't it? Didn't I say? began Bilbil. Oh, no matter what you said, my boy, roared the king. No fool could have figured that out as nicely as I did. We have still to decide how to remove the blocks of marble, suggested Inga anxiously. Fasten a rope to them and pull, said Bilbil. Don't pay any more attention to Rinkitink, for he is no wiser than the man who wrote that brainless scroll. 
Just get the rope, and we'll fasten Rinky-Tink to one end of it for a weight, and I'll help you pull. Thank you, Bilbil, replied the boy. I'll get the rope at once. Bilbil found it difficult to climb over the ruins to the floor of the banquet hall, but there are few places a goat cannot get to when it makes the attempt. So Bilbil succeeded at last, and even fat little Rinky-Tink finally joined them, though much out of breath. Inga fastened one end of the rope around a block of marble, and then made a loop at the other end to go over Bilbil's head. When all was ready, the boy seized the rope and helped the goat to pull, yet, strain as they might, the huge block would not stir from its place. Seeing this, King Rinkitink came forward and lent his assistance, the weight of his body forcing the heavy marble to slide several feet from where it had lain. But it was hard work, and all were obliged to take a long rest before undertaking the removal of the next block. "'Admit, Bilbil,' said the king, "'that I am of some use in the world.' "'Your weight was of considerable help,' acknowledged the goat. "'But if your head were as well filled as your stomach, the task would be still easier.' When Inga went to fasten the rope a second time, he was rejoiced to discover that by moving one more block of marble he could uncover the tile with the secret spring. So the three pulled with renewed energy, and to their joy the block moved and rolled upon its side, leaving Inga free to remove the treasure when he pleased. But the boy had no intention of allowing Bilbil and the king to share the secret of the royal treasures of Pingaree, so, although both the goat and its master demanded to know why the marble blocks had been moved, and how it would benefit them, Inga begged them to wait until the next morning, when he hoped to be able to satisfy them that their hard work had not been in vain. Having little confidence in this promise of a mere boy, the goat grumbled and the king laughed, but Inga paid no heed to their ridicule, and set himself to work rigging up a fishing-rod with line and hook. During the afternoon he waded out to some rocks near the shore and fished patiently until he had captured enough yellow perch for their supper and breakfast. "'Ah!' said Rinkitink, looking at the fine catch when Inga returned to the shore. "'These will taste delicious when they are cooked.' "'But do you know how to cook them?' "'No,' was the reply. "'I have often caught fish, but never cooked them. "'Perhaps your majesty understands cooking?' "'Cooking and majesty are two different things,' laughed the little king. "'I could not cook a fish to save me from starvation.' "'For my part,' said Bilbil, "'I never eat fish, but I can tell you how to cook them.' for I have often watched the palace cooks at their work. And so, with the goat's assistance, the boy and the king managed to prepare the fish and cook them, after which they were eaten with a good appetite. That night, after Rinkitink and Bilbil were both fast asleep, Inga stole quietly through the moonlight to the desolate banquet hall. There, Kneeling down, he touched the secret spring, as his father had instructed him to do, 
and to his joy the tile sank downward and disclosed the opening. You may imagine how the boy's heart throbbed with excitement as he slowly thrust his hand into the cavity and felt around to see if the precious pearls were still there. In a moment his fingers touched the silken bag, and, without pausing to close the recess, he pressed the treasure against his breast and ran out into the moonlight to examine it. When he reached a bright place, he started to open the bag, but he observed Bilbil lying asleep upon the grass nearby. So, trembling with fear of discovery, he ran to another place, and when he paused, he heard Rinkitink snoring lustily. Again he fled and made his way to the seashore, where he squatted under a bank and began to untie the cords that fastened the mouth of the bag. But now another fear assailed him. If the pearls should slip from my hand, he thought, and roll into the water, they might be lost to me forever. I must find some safer place. Here and there he wandered, still clasping the silken bag in both hands, and finally he went to the grove and climbed into the tall tree where he had made his platform and seat. But here it was pitch dark, so he found he must wait patiently until morning before he dared touch the pearls. During those hours of waiting he had time for reflection, and reproached himself for being so frightened by the possession of his father's treasures. These pearls have belonged to our family for generations, he mused, yet no one has ever lost them. If I use ordinary care, I am sure I need have no fears for their safety. When the dawn came, and he could see plainly, Inga opened the bag and took out the blue pearl. There was no possibility of his being observed by others, so he took time to examine it wonderingly, saying to himself, this will give me strength. Taking off his right shoe, he placed the blue pearl within it, far up in the pointed toe. Then he tore a piece from his handkerchief and stuffed it into the shoe to hold the pearl in place. Inga's shoes were long and pointed, as were all the shoes worn in Pingaree, and the points curled upward so that there was quite a vacant space beyond the place where the boy's toes reached when the shoe was upon his foot. After he had put on the shoe and laced it up, he opened the bag and took out the pink pearl. "'This will protect me from danger,' said Inga, and removing the shoe from his left foot, he carefully placed the pearl in the hollow toe. This also he secured in place, by means of a strip torn from his handkerchief. Having put on the second shoe and laced it up, the boy drew from the silken bag the third pearl, that which was pure white, and holding it to his ear he asked, Will you advise me what to do in this my hour of misfortune? Clearly the small voice of the pearl made answer, I advise you to go to the islands of Regos and Corrigos, where you may liberate your parents from slavery. How could I do that? exclaimed Prince Inga, amazed at receiving such advice. Tonight, spoke the voice of the pearl, there will be a storm. 
and in the morning a boat will strand upon the shore. Take this boat and row to Regos and Corrigos. How can I, a weak boy, pull the boat so far? he inquired, doubting the possibility. The blue pearl will give you strength, was the reply. But I may be shipwrecked and drowned before ever I reach Regos and Corrigos, protested the boy. The pink pearl will protect you from harm, murmured the voice, soft and low but very distinct. Then I shall act as you advise me, declared Inga, speaking firmly because this promise gave him courage, and as he removed the pearl from his ear it whispered, The wise and fearless are sure to win success. Restoring the white pearl to the depths of the silken bag, Inga fastened it securely around his neck and buttoned his waist above it to hide the treasure from all prying eyes. Then he slowly climbed down from the tree and returned to the room where King Rinkitink still slept. The goat was browsing upon the grass but looked cross and surly. When the boy said good morning as he passed, Bilbil made no response whatever. As Inga entered the room, the king awoke and asked, what is that mysterious secret of yours? I've been dreaming about it, and I haven't got my breath yet from tugging at those heavy blocks. Tell me the secret. A secret told is no longer a secret, replied Inga with a laugh. Besides, this is a family secret, which it is proper I should keep to myself. But I may tell you one thing, at least. We are going to leave this island tomorrow morning. The king seemed puzzled by this statement. I'm not much of a swimmer, said he, and though I'm fat enough to float upon the surface of the water, I'd only bob around and get nowhere at all. We shall not swim, but ride comfortably in a boat, promised Inga. There isn't a boat on this island, declared Rinkitink, looking upon the boy with wonder. True, said Inga, but one will come to us in the morning. He spoke positively for he had perfect faith in the promise of the white pearl. But Rinkitink, knowing nothing of the three marvelous jewels, began to fear that the little prince had lost his mind through grief and misfortune. For this reason the king did not question the boy further, but tried to cheer him by telling him witty stories. He laughed at all the stories himself in his merry, rollicking way, and Inga joined freely in the laughter because his heart had been lightened by the prospect of rescuing his dear parents. Not since the fierce warriors had descended upon Pingaree had the boy been so hopeful and happy. With Rinkitink riding upon Bilbil's back, the three made a tour of the island and found in the central part some bushes and trees bearing ripe fruit. They gathered this freely for... Aside from the fish which Inga caught, it was the only food they now had, and the less they had, the bigger Rinkitink's appetite seemed to grow. "'I am never more happy,' said he with a sigh, ah, "'than when I am eating.' Toward evening the sky became overcast, and soon a great storm began to rage. Prince Inga and King Rinkitink took refuge within the shelter of the room they had fitted up, and there Bilbil joined them. The goat and the king were somewhat disturbed by the violence of the storm, 
but Inga did not mind it, being pleased at this evidence that the white pearl might be relied upon. All night the wind shrieked around the island, thunder rolled, lightning flashed, and rain came down in torrents. But with morning the storm abated, and when the sun arose no sign of the tempest remained save a few fallen trees. End of chapter 5 Hi, I'm Rob Whiten from the Innsmouth Book Club. Join me and my fellow guide, John Chadwick, as we take you on a fortnightly tour of Innsmouth. We visit places such as the Picture House, the Library and Innsmouth Museum to discuss all aspects of weird fiction, whether it be book, film, music, TV or art. As well as that, we stop over at the Gilman House to have a chat with a resident guest. That includes authors, artists, musicians, in fact, Lovecraftian creatives of all types. You can find our free shows on Patreon, and there you can also sign up as a patron, which brings you bonus content, plus a monthly PDF copy of Innsmouth News, which features articles, author spotlights, all the latest news and reviews, and more. You can find us at patreon.com forward slash InnsmouthBC. We hope to see you soon, because remember, Innsmouth isn't just a place, it's a state of mind. This month's bandwidth is brought to you by Psychedelic Water. Legal psychedelics suspended in green tea and then put inside of a can for you. Psychedelic water. Who needs a Tillinghast resonator when you've got psychedelic water? Are you a curvy girl? Do you know a curvy girl? You love a curvy girl. Check out the show links for curvy girl. Plus size clothing for plus size women. Oh, Larry. Find, find student instruments, beginner's instruments. If you want to modify a guitar, check out Glary. If you want to get into guitars, if you love guitars, Things from another world. It's a store that has art. It has toys. It has comics, graphic novels. It is the place if you like that kind of stuff. Dave and I have talked about it in the show before. They were ever a sponsor. Dave likes to check out their stuff. I like to check out their stuff. They're pretty cool. Toys, art, graphic design. Not graphic design, graphic novels. Things from another world. Check out the show notes. Uh, check out the links on, on our website, PGPTCM. We've got specific stuff there to let you know what they've got going on for specials. Anyway, thank you again so much. Did you know that there is a THC derivative that's legal called Delta 8? Not to be confused with the Delta variant, but Delta 8. Yeah. Uh, you can get it in chewable form, and it's sold at... Uh, what's what's Golden Goat CBD, one of our sponsors? Yeah, you can get some Delta 8, and you can also pick up some CBD chewables gummies. They've got smokables for the Delta 8, and they've got all kinds of stuff for CBD, and they can help you out. Uh, check the show notes, Golden Goat. 
And while you're in the show notes, hey, do you know about Donner? Donner has so many amazing musical instruments from all kinds, mandolins, banjos. They've got drums. They've got amplifiers. They've got guitars. They've got all kinds of stuff, and they ship worldwide. Check out Donner. I think you're going to like it, and I think Donner's going to have a good deal for you. So I, I love their electric guitars. A lot of the music that I perform for the show is either on one brand or it's on a Donner. So check out Donner and check out some savings. All right. Thank you once again for listening to People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. You can help show your support by going to the show notes and following any of the links that'll tell you how to support the show and how to support our guests. And thank you to all of our guests who you can find in the show notes. Rate, review, subscribe. And remember, patrons get priority access to asking us questions, suggesting topics, even, I don't know, uh, submitting stuff. Actually, you don't have to be a patron to submit anything. That's how Dave got on the show, and that's how you can get on the show, too. It's the People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. Rate, review, subscribe, tell your friends. Chapter 6 The Magic Boat Prince Inga was up with the sun and, accompanied by Bilbil, began walking along the shore in search of the boat which the White Pearl had promised him. Never for an instant did he doubt that he would find it, and before he had walked any great distance, a dark object at the water's edge caught his eye. "'It's the boat, Bilbil!' he cried joyfully, and running down to it, he found it was, indeed, a large and roomy boat. Although stranded upon the beach, it was in perfect order, and had suffered in no way from the storm. Inga stood for some moments, gazing upon the handsome craft and wondering where it could have come from. Certainly it was unlike any boat he had ever seen. On the outside it was painted a lustrous black, without any other color to relieve it, but all the inside of the boat was lined with pure silver, polished so highly that the surface resembled a mirror, and glinted brilliantly in the rays of the sun. The seats had white velvet cushions upon them, and the cushions were splendidly embroidered with threads of gold. At one end, beneath the broad seat, was a small barrel with silver hoops, which the boy found was filled with fresh, sweet water. A great chest of sandalwood, bound and ornamented with silver, stood in the other end of the boat. Inga raised the lid and discovered the chest filled with sea-biscuits, cakes, tinned meats, and ripe, juicy melons. Enough good and wholesome food to last the party a long time. Lying upon the bottom of the boat were two shining oars, and overhead, but rolled back now, was a canopy of silver cloth to ward off the heat of the sun. It is no wonder the boy was delighted with the appearance of this beautiful boat, but on reflection he feared it was too large for him to row any great distance. Unless, indeed, the blue pearl gave him unusual strength. While he was considering this matter, King Rinkitink came waddling up to him and said, Well, 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 my prince, your words have come true. <laughs> Here is the boat for a certainty. 
Yet how it came here, and how you knew it would come to us, are puzzles that mystify me. I do not question our good fortune, however, and my heart is bubbling with joy, for in this boat I will return at once to my city of Gilgad, from which I have remained absent altogether too long a time. I do not wish to go to Gilgad, said Inga. That is too bad, my friend, for you would be very welcome. But you may remain upon this island if you wish, continued Rinkitink, and when I get home I will send some of my people to rescue you. It is my boat, your majesty, said Inga quietly. Maybe, maybe, was the careless answer, but I am king of a great country, while you are a boy prince without any kingdom to speak of. Therefore, being of greater importance than you, it is just and right that I take your boat and return to my own country in it. I am sorry to differ from your majesty's views, said Inga, but instead of going to Gilgad, I consider it of greater importance that we go to the islands of Regos and Corrigos. Hey, what? cried the astounded king. To Regos and Corrigos? To become slaves of the barbarians like the king, your father? Oh, no, no, my boy. Your uncle Rinky may have an empty noodle, as Bilbil claims, but he is far too wise to put his head into the lion's mouth. It is no fun to be a slave. The people of Regos and Corregos will not enslave us, declared Inga. On the contrary, it is my intention to set free my dear parents, as well as all my people, and to bring them back again to Pingaree. <laughs> oh, how funny! chuckled Rinkitink, winking at the goat, which scowled in return. <laughs> Your audacity takes my breath away, Inga. But the adventure has its charm, I must confess. Were I not so fat, I'd agree to your plan at once, and could probably conquer that horde of fierce warriors without any assistance at all. Any at all, eh, Bilbil? But I grieve to say that I am fat, and not in good fighting trim. As for your determination to do what I admit I can't do, Inga, I fear you forget that you are only a boy, and rather small at that. No, I do not forget that, was Inga's reply. Then please consider that you and I and Bilbil are not strong enough, as an army, to conquer a powerful nation of skilled warriors. We could attempt it, of course, but you are too young to die, while I am too old. Come with me to my city of Gilgad, where you will be greatly honored. I'll have my professors teach you how to be good, eh? What do you say? Inga was a little embarrassed how to reply to these arguments, which he knew King Rinkitink considered were wise. So after a period of thought, he said, I will make a bargain with your majesty, for I do not wish to fail in respect to so worthy a man and so great a king as yourself. This boat is mine, as I have said and in my father's absence you have become my guest. Therefore, I claim that I am entitled to some consideration as well as you. 
Oh, no doubt of it, agreed Rinkitink. What is the bargain you propose, Inga? Let us both get into the boat, and you shall first try to row us to Gilgad. If you succeed, I will accompany you right willingly. But should you fail, I will then row the boat to Regos, and you must come with me without further protest. A fair and just bargain, cried the king, highly pleased. Yet, although I am a man of mighty deeds, I do not relish the prospect of rowing so big a boat all the way to Gilgad, but I will do my best and abide by the result. The matter being thus peaceably settled, they prepared to embark. A further supply of fruits was placed in the boat, and Inga also raked up a quantity of the delicious oysters that abounded on the coast of Pingaree, but which he had before been unable to reach for lack of a boat. This was done at the suggestion of the ever-hungry Rinkitink, and when the oysters had been stowed in their shells behind the water-barrel, and a plentiful supply of grass brought aboard for Bilbil, they decided they were ready to start on their voyage. It proved no easy task to get Bilbil into the boat, for he was a remarkably clumsy goat, and once, when Rinkitink gave him a push, he tumbled into the water and nearly drowned before they could get him out again. But there was no thought of leaving the quaint animal behind. His power of speech made him seem almost human to the eyes of the boy, and the fat king was so accustomed to his surly companion that nothing could have induced him to part with him. Finally Bilbil fell sprawling into the bottom of the boat, and Inga helped him to get to the front end, where there was enough space for him to lie down. Rinkitink now took his seat in the silver-lined craft, and the boy came last, pushing off the boat as he sprang aboard, so that it floated freely upon the water. "'Well, here we go for Gilgad!' exclaimed the king, picking up the oars and placing them in the rowlocks. Then he began to row as hard as he could, singing at the same time an odd sort of song that ran like this. The way to Gilgad isn't bad, for a stout old king and a brave young lad, for a cross old goat with a dripping coat, and a silver boat in which to float, so our hearts are merry, light, and glad, as we speed away to fair Gilgad. Don't, Rinky-Tink, please don't. It makes me seasick, growled Bilbil. Rinky-Tink stopped rowing, for by this time he was all out of breath, and his round face was covered with big drops of perspiration. And when he looked over his shoulder, he found to his dismay that the boat had scarcely moved a foot from its former position. Inga said nothing, and appeared not to notice the king's failure. So now Rinkitink, with a serious look on his fat red face, took off his purple robe and rolled up the sleeves of his tunic and tried again. However, he succeeded no better than before, and when he heard Bilbil give a gruff laugh and saw a smile upon the boy prince's face, Rinkitink suddenly dropped the oars and began shouting with laughter at his own defeat. As he wiped his brow with a yellow silk handkerchief, he sang in a merry voice, 
a sailor bold am i i hold but boldness will not row a boat so i confess i'm in distress and just as useless as the goat please leave me out of your verses said bilbil with a snort of anger when i make a fool of myself bilbil i'm a goat replied rinkitink not so insisted bilbil nothing could make you a member of my superior race superior why bilbil a goat is but a beast while i am a king i claim that superiority lies in intelligence said the goat rinkitink paid no attention to this remark but turning to inga he said we may as well get back to the shore for the boat is too heavy to row to gilgad or anywhere else indeed it will be hard for us to reach land again let me take the oars suggested inga you must not forget our bargain no indeed answered rinkitink if you can row us to regos or to any other place i will go with you without protest so the king took inga's place at the stern of the boat and the boy grasped the oars and commenced to row and now to the great wonder of rinkitink and even to inga's surprise the oars became light as feathers as soon as the prince took hold of them in an instant the boat began to glide rapidly through the water and seeing this the boy turned its prow toward the north he did not know exactly where regos and corrigos were located but he did know that the islands lay to the north of pingaree so he decided to trust to luck and the guidance of the pearls to carry him to them gradually the island of pingaree became smaller to their view as the boat sped onward until at the end of an hour they had lost sight of it altogether and were wholly surrounded by the purple waters of the nonestic ocean prince inga did not tire from the labor of rowing indeed it seemed to him no labor at all once he stopped long enough to place the poles of the canopy in the holes that had been made for them in the edges of the boat and to spread the canopy of silver over the poles for rinkitink had complained of the sun's heat but the canopy shut out the hot rays and rendered the interior of the boat cool and pleasant this is a glorious ride cried rinkitink as he lay back in the shade i find it a decided relief to be away from that dismal island of pingaree it may be a relief for a short time said bilbil but you are going to the land of your enemies who will probably stick your fat body full of spears and arrows oh i hope not exclaimed inga distressed at the thought never mind said the king calmly a man can die but once you know and when the enemy kills me i shall beg him to kill bilbil also that we may remain together in death as in life there may be cannibals in which case they will roast and eat us suggested bilbil who wished to terrify his master who knows answered rinkitink with a shudder oh but cheer up bilbil they may not kill us after all or even capture us so let us not borrow trouble do not look so cross my sprightly quadruped and i will sing to amuse you 
"'Your song would make me more cross than ever,' grumbled the goat. "'Quite impossible, dear Bilbil. You couldn't be more surly if you tried. So here is a famous song for you.' While the boy rowed steadily on, and the boat rushed fast over the water, the jolly king, who never could be sad or serious for many minutes at a time, lay back on his embroidered cushions and sang as follows a merry maiden went to sea sing to ralurralio she sat upon the captain's knee and looked around the sea to see what she could see but she couldn't see me sing to ralurralio how do you like that bilbil i don't like it complained the goat it reminds me of the alligator that tried to whistle. Did he succeed, Bilbil? asked the king. He whistled as well as you sing. <laughs> yes, chuckled the king. He must have whistled most exquisitely, eh, my friend? I am not your friend, returned the goat, wagging his ears in a surly manner. I am yours, however, was the king's cheery reply, and to prove it I'll sing you another verse. Don't, I beg of you. But the king sang as follows. The wind blew off the maiden's shoe, sing to ralurralio, and the shoe flew high in the sky so blue, and the maiden knew twas a new shoe too. But she couldn't pursue the shoot is true. Sing to Ralurralio. Isn't that sweet, my pretty goat? Sweet, do you ask? retorted Bilbil. I consider it as sweet as candy made from mustard and vinegar. But not as sweet as your disposition, I admit. Ah, Bilbil, your temper would put honey itself to shame. Do not quarrel, I beg of you, pleaded Inga. Are we not sad enough already? But this is a jolly quarrel, said the king, and it is the way Bill Bill and I often amuse ourselves. Listen now to the last verse of all. The maiden who shied her shoe now cried, Sing to Ralurralio. Her tears were fried for the captain's bride, who ate with pride her sobs beside, and gently sighed, I'm satisfied, sing to Ralurralio. Worse and worse, grumbled Bilbil with much scorn. I am glad that is the last verse, for another of the same kind might cause me to faint. I fear you have no ear for music, said the king. I have heard no music as yet, declared the goat. You must have a strong imagination, King Rinkitink, if you consider your songs music. Do you remember the story of the bear that hired out for a nursemaid? I do not recall it just now, said Rinkitink with a wink at Inga. Well, the bear tried to sing a lullaby to put the baby to sleep. And then said the king. The bear was highly pleased with his own voice, but the baby was nearly frightened to death. <laughs> oh, yes, oh, yes, you are a merry rogue, Bilbil, laughed the king, 
a merry rogue in spite of your gloomy features. However, if I have not amused you, I have at least pleased myself, for I am exceedingly fond of a good song. So let us say no more about it. All this time the boy prince was rowing the boat. He was not in the least tired, for the oars he held seemed to move of their own accord. He paid little heed to the conversation of Rinky-Tink and the goat, but busied his thoughts with plans of what he should do when he reached the islands of Regos and Corrigos, and confronted his enemies. When the others finally became silent, Inga inquired, "'Can you fight King Rinky-Tink?' "'I have never tried.' was the answer. In times of danger I have found it much easier to run away than to face the foe. "'But could you fight?' asked the boy. "'I might try, if there was no chance to escape by running. Have you a proper weapon for me to fight with?' "'I have no weapon at all,' confessed Inga. "'Then let us use argument and persuasion instead of fighting. For instance, if we could persuade the warriors of Regos to lie down and let me step on them, they would be crushed with ease. Prince Inga had expected little support from the king, so he was not discouraged by this answer. After all, he reflected, a conquest by battle would be out of the question. Yet the White Pearl would not have advised him to go to Regos and Corrigos had the mission been a hopeless one. It seemed to him, on further reflection, that he must rely upon circumstances to determine his actions when he reached the islands of the barbarians. By this time Inga felt perfect confidence in the magic pearls. It was the white pearl that had given him the boat, and the blue pearl that had given him strength to row it. He believed that the pink pearl would protect him from any danger that might arise. So his anxiety was not for himself, but for his companions. King Rinkitink and the goat had no magic to protect them, so Inga resolved to do all in his power to keep them from harm. For three days and three nights the boat with the silver lining sped swiftly over the ocean. On the morning of the fourth day, so quickly had they traveled, Inga saw before him the shores of the two great islands of Regos and Corrigos. "'The pearls have guided me aright,' he whispered to himself. "'Now, if I am wise and cautious and brave, I believe I shall be able to rescue my father and mother and my people.'" End of chapter 6 Show notes. Check them out. That's where you're going to find sponsors and guests and t-shirts and stickers and high fives all right thanks everyone we'll see you later hey everyone thanks again for listening to the show music is by me db spitzer edited and produced by me db spitzer the interview portions are always edited and produced by david heath and hey you can find us wherever you find podcasts so check out pgttcm.com and if you don't want to check out the patreon if you don't want to do that and you want to help out the show just go to sponsors or buy t-shirts or anything like that anything helps thank you again <laughs>